North Korea is the impossible state. It's a place that stumped leaders and policymakers for more than three decades. It has a complex history, and it has become the United States' top national security priority. Each week on this show, we'll talk with the people who know the most about North Korea. Morning. My name is uh, Yong Kwan Yun. Uh, it, it is my uh, great honor uh, to uh, chair this panel on uh, improving South Korea-Japan relationship. And we had a very productive discussion this morning in session one. And one of the most important issues related to the topic we discussed in the previous session is the relationship between Japan and South Korea. As we all know, both countries share democracy, market system, and uh, we also face common uh, security threats coming from North Korea and some other uh, countries. And I think it is important to improve a bilateral relationship between two countries. Also, both countries are allies of the United States. In some sense, uh, when we confront a North Korean uh, security threat, uh, South Korea, if South Korea is a uh, uh, forward base, I think Japan is uh, a real base. And it is uh, kind of unreasonable to see the relationship between those two bases not working well. So uh, I think uh, how to improve Japan and ROK, ROK and Japan relationship uh, in the future, that's an important subject. As we know, uh, bilateral relationship between uh, ROK and Japan uh, hit the lowest point in the recent uh, few years, uh, probably mainly because of uh, some history issues. And uh, today's topic, I mean, this, uh, the topic for this panel's discussion is uh, how to fix the problem and how we can improve the relationship between two uh, countries. And President Yoon suk yeol made it clear that his policy is to improving bilateral relationship uh, between uh, South Korea and Japan. And uh, uh, he also said that uh, he would uh, reinvigorate uh, 1998 uh, Kim Dae-jung-Oguchi declaration. And I sincerely hope that his goal can be achieved in, in coming years. And to discuss this uh, important topic, we have uh, four distinguished uh, panelists uh, today. And first, uh, Dr. Uh, Sheila Smith uh, is participating through Zoom. And let me briefly introduce her to you. Dr. Smith is John E. Morrow Senior Fellow for Asia Pacific Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, she is an expert on Japanese politics and foreign policy. 
and she is the author of Japan Rearmed, The Politics of Military Power, Intimate Rivals, Japanese uh, Domestic Politics and the Rising China, and Japan's New Politics and the U.S.-Japan Alliance. She is also the author of the CFR Interactive Guide, Constitutional Change in Japan. And Dr. Smith is a regular contributor to the CFR blog, Asia Unbound, and a frequent contributor to major media outlets in the United States and Asia. Uh, she was a visiting scholar at Keio University in 2007 to 2008, and there she researched Japan's foreign policy toward China, and uh, it was supported by Abe Fellowship. Uh, Dr. Smith is uh, also chair of the Japan-U.S. Friendship Commission and the U.S. Advisors to the U.S.-Japan Conference on Cultural and Educational Interchange. Uh, she teaches as an adjunct professor at the Asian Studies, Asian Studies Department of Georgetown University. Uh, she got his, uh, her PhD degree from uh, Columbia University. To my left, uh, Dr. Uh, Yeol Son. Professor Son is the president of East Asia Institute, a think tank in Korea, and he is a professor of Graduate School of International Studies at Yonsei University. Dr. Son is the professor uh, uh, in the uh, Yonsei University, and uh, he served as president of the Korean Association of International Studies in 2019, and also as dean of GSIS from 2012 to 2016. Uh, Dr. Son taught at Jungang University and University of Tokyo and was visiting scholar at institutions in the University of uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and also University of California, Berkeley. He was also senior fellow of the Fulbright, Fulbright Foundation, MacArthur Foundation, Japan Foundation, and Waseda University's Institute for Advanced Studies. He served as policy advisors on a number of government advisory committees, including the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Ministry of Industry, etc. And he has many publications, uh, including uh, publication, uh, some uh, title is Japan and Asia's uh, Contested Order, co-authored with uh, Dr. T.J. Pempel in 2019. Okay, then uh, to his left, Dr. Eunbong Che, she is Professor of Political Science and Diplomacy uh, of Iwa Women's University. Uh, Dr. Che is professor in the Department of Political Science and Diplomacy at Iwa Women's University and the director of the Iwa Institute of Politics. Uh, she received her doctoral degree from Ohio State University in 1991, and uh, uh, she previously served as assistant professor and associate professor at Kangwon National University and uh, a visiting research fellow at the University of Tsukuba, Japan. She has numerous publications in the fields of Japanese politics, the East Asian region, and comparative politics. And also she has served as president of Korean Association of Contemporary Japanese Studies uh, in Korea 
and also served as uh, vice president of the Korea Political Science Association and Korean International Political Science Association. She also served as the Dean of College of Social Sciences, uh, Iwa Women's University. And to her uh, left, uh, Dr. Ellen Kim, and uh, she is Deputy Director and Senior Fellow of Korea Chair at CSIS. And uh, her research focuses on U.S.-Korea relations and U.S.-China strategic competition in the Indo-Pacific. And uh, she joined the Korea Chair upon uh, its inception in 2009 and previously served as Associate Director and Fellow before her departure in 2015. Uh, her recent publications include uh, North Korea Without Change, uh, co-authored uh, with uh, Victor Cha, and uh, Between Rock and a Hard Place, South Korea's Strategic Dilemma with China and the United States uh, in 2016. And she holds uh, his, uh, her PhD in political science from the University of uh, South, uh, Cali Southern California and master's degree from Kennedy School of uh, Harvard University. Uh, she got a BA degree in international relations from Wellesley College. So we have wonderful I mean, panelists here uh, to discuss uh, this important topic. And I'd like to give you probably about five minutes to discuss this topic. Dr. Smith, please go first. Thank you very much. Um, I apologize for not being there in person. I so wanted to be with you all, but um, we are still living in the world of COVID, and so I have to be isolated a bit. Um, I wanted to say, uh, President Lee, uh, Korea Foundation, it's a, I'm sorry that I won't get a chance to see you, but and thank you, Victor and CSIS, for including me. Foreign Minister Yoon, uh, Yoon and I had a chance earlier, a few weeks ago, to talk a little bit about these issues. And I, I have a couple of very basic points to make about the trilateral relationship, and within it, obviously, uh, the more uh, complex Japan-South Korea relationship. You know, we, we are not in the same moment uh, as 1998, and yet I think that President Yoon's endorsement of the Obuchi-Kim uh, joint statement was very positive because it sent a message, I think, of the kind of relationship that he would like to build again with Japan. I, I think we're in a moment of, of confidence building for the Japan-Korea relationship, and I think in both sides, uh, the publics will scrutinize uh, what the new administration in Seoul and what the, with the Kichida cabinet is able to do. So I think it's important that we recognize what's changed a little bit since 1998. I think the domestic political changes obviously are the most uh, most important indicator. Um, there are longstanding issues that are sensitive and they always have been. And I think what's, what's important here is to recognize that there's a domestic audience and there is perhaps uh, a more serious scrutiny now of some of the steps that will need to be taken. I think the other issues that were brought up in the previous, by the previous speakers and the previous panel in particular, and that is we need to be realistic, I think, about our expectations. The world is changing and changing very quickly. And I think that also means that the stakes are higher for Japan and South Korea and the United States to try to get this relationship uh, on a more positive footing. We can be slow and steady in the way we approach it, but we could also recognize where some of this accelerated geostrategic change offers perhaps new opportunities. And these came up, I think, in our previous panel. Sustaining the liberal order today is not something that any of us can take for granted. 
And I think that that for, uh, is an opportunity, I think, for us, three, the three countries that we're discussing this morning. China often is something that we often hear diplomats and statesmen in either Tokyo or Seoul, perhaps speaking in a different, slightly different tone because of their different opportunities and their different ways of approaching the problem. But I think we are at a moment where we can recognize some of the specific challenges that we all face and we all have faced uh, in terms of dealing with China. So I think we are a little bit more, uh, there is more opportunity here, given that we have the same strategic concerns about the changing balance of power in the Indo-Pacific and indeed globally. I think, therefore, there's some constants in the in the bilateral Japan-South Korea relationship. There's some constants even in our trilateral relationship. But there's also, I think, opportunity for reframing the way we think about our partnerships. So I had a couple of issues that I had written about a few weeks ago for the Wilson Center. But I think the, the most important one, of course, as we look at North Korea's recent behavior, is to make sure that we are frank with each other about what deterrence looks like. And again, I think I, too, was very happy with the summit meeting that President Biden had with President Yoon. It was a very positive statement of that uh, extent, not only extended deterrence, but also the willingness of the two leaders to make sure that there is no miscalculation or there should be no miscalculation. Now, I think the time it's time to build Japan into that mix. So I hear uh, in the trilateral U.S.-Japan ROK relationship, hope that we can work towards a, a moment where there is greater exercising, greater demonstration of the willingness of these two alliances to combine capabilities and to be able to be ready, should it become necessary, to act on the, on the need for uh, extended deterrence and the deterrence more broadly. On the economic side of things, this is where previous speakers have already made their, their points as well, and there's going to be a whole panel discussion, so I won't labor, labor this point, but it's clear to me that all three of us United States, Japan, and the ROK need to elevate economic security in the way we think about our alliance structure and our priorities. And I'm delighted to see that this is something that uh, President Yoon and his administration also feels very strongly about. This can be done, obviously, in various venues. And again, this has already been discussed. The supply chain resilience issue has been a priority, is a priority. But I wouldn't, uh, I would also put a second issue up on the table here for consideration, and that is the future of technological innovation. Uh, we can't be benign, I think, about the kinds of challenges ahead. And this is something where Japan, Korea, and the United States perhaps can begin to think about what it is they can do together to ensure that technology is protected, but also that we are working on the same pathways towards innovation. Let me just briefly mention two other things for Minister Yoon, and then I'll turn it back to you. One is, of course, on the on the very difficult question of historical legacy issues. It seems to me that we... Japan and South Korea got very narrow in the way they construed the, the venues through which they could consider these issues uh, over the last several years. And I would very much like to see a broadening. I don't see the United States here as having a direct role, but as it is supporting or facilitating role, should we be asked uh, for it. But I think it's really important to understand that reconciliation is a process that is not just accomplished by statesmen and diplomats by state leaders. It also has to be embraced by civil society and private sector leaders as well. And I am quite hopeful 
that the private sector in both Japan and South Korea uh, can come into this conversation and offer some constructive pathways forward. Finally, I think, and this is an obvious point, and I will make it simply because it's an area that I work on in the U.S.-Japan partnership, but we really need to invest in our next generation. And I think there's, there's lots of opportunity here for investment, not only in bilateral next generation uh, efforts, but also perhaps trilateral. Younger people in the United States, Japan, and South Korea really do have different ideas about the opportunities of this partnership. And I think we, we behoove us to invest a little bit on creating opportunities for them also to contribute to, a, to the U.S.-Japan-South Korean relationship more broadly. So with that, let me stop here, Minister Yoon. Thank you. Thank you very much for your uh, wonderful, excellent uh, comments. And uh, when you emphasize the importance of educating young people, I fully agree as a person who taught at university for a long time. And uh, I think that's certainly a very important subject. Also, let me ask, I mean, as you mentioned, the situation has changed a lot uh, since 1998, uh, Kim Dae-jung Obuchi uh, declaration. But at that time, around 1997, 1996, I still remember there were strong domestic political uh, opposition against, I mean, Kim Dae-jung or any political leader's possible, I mean, uh, policy of approaching to I mean, Japan, improving, uh, I mean, uh, bilateral relationship or something like that. But he was very, I mean, uh, kind of uh, strong in uh, his view that the desirability of improving bilateral relationship. What kind of lessons we can draw from Prime Minister Obuchi at that time and Prime Minister Kim Dae, I mean, uh, President Kim Dae-jung in 1998? Is there anything they can teach for their successors like Yoon suk yeol and uh, Prime Minister uh, Kishida and President uh, Yoon suk yeol Oh, excellent question. Thank you for that. I, I was in Japan at the time that President Kim visited, and I was amazed uh, and, and positively amazed at the extent of, of understanding that he demonstrated for the audience that he was trying to reach in Japan. So those who advised him, or perhaps it was just uh, President uh, Kim Dae-jun himself, but he spoke to the Japanese people when he came in 1998 to Japan in a way that I had not heard a, a previous leader, South Korean or otherwise, frankly, speak. Um, and so I think the Japanese people really heard what he had to say and took it to heart that he intended for this relationship between Japan and South Korea to really begin to be a more positive, constructive, and you know, directed at the humanity of both societies. So there was a real impact that he had, you know, and it was televised throughout Japan at the time, whether it was in the diet or his dinner with the emperor, he was on TV for the duration of his stay. And he very consciously spoke out to the Japanese people. He understood that that was who was listening to him, not just the government officials or whoever was at the banquet. Um, and I, so I think that's very important. I think when President Yoon does visit Japan, whenever that may be, uh, that engagement with the Japanese people is going to be really important. You have to recognize the challenges, but also set a pathway of optimism for the future. And I think speaking to that next generation would also help. The second thing I would emphasize um, for President Kim Dae-jung's approach is that he obviously, in uh, Mr. Uh, Prime Minister Obuchi, had a very receptive 
leader on the other side. And here, I think also uh, President Yoon has a very receptive leader uh, on the Japanese side. I think Prime Minister Kishida and his cabinet, including Foreign Minister Hayashi, uh, want to do the hard work uh, required. Now, they recognize, again, the challenges, but I think they see also the strategic importance of making sure that the Japan-South Korea relationship has a foundation that goes beyond one president, one prime minister, but builds upon the relationship, builds a foundation that then subsequent leaders can follow forward with. So I think it's really important uh, that the partners, the Prime Minister Kishida and President Yoon, set out not just what are we going to do in the first or the second or the third conversation we have, but what is our plan that will really plant some roots among politicians, among educators and civil society, but also among the, the diplomats and statesmen that will have to manage the relationship going forward. So I think there's a there's a holistic plan that they can approach this with, and I would certainly urge them to to, to take that approach. Great, I think that's uh, very very good and excellent uh, advices for policymakers and top policymakers like both uh, President Yoon Suk Yeol and uh, Prime Minister Kishida. Okay, uh, next, uh, Dr. Sonyeol, please go ahead and uh, take your time. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm uh, honored uh, to be here, and I'd like to uh, thank uh, Korea Foundation and uh, CSIS for uh, this great uh, conference. Uh, it's a bit uh, unusual when you do uh, U.S.-Korea strategic partnership, and here's a session about Korea-Japan relationship. It means, it seems like uh, this particular bilateral relationship is, is vital to uh, uh, the bilo I mean, bilateral uh, relationship between the United States and uh, South Korea. In that regard, you know, uh, I, uh, I'd like to make uh, three uh, comments, uh, and, and those three comments uh, should be related to uh, U.S.-Korea uh, bilateral relationship. Uh, one uh, is that the key question is, uh, what's the future of this bilateral relationship, U.S.-Japan, I mean, uh, Japan, South Korea, will it be improved? It should be improved. And uh, today we see uh, sort of an improvement. Uh, I think uh, the rising expectations uh, for improved bilateral relationship. Um, I think the uh, United States played a role, important role, in ways that uh, reactivate, you know, U.S., uh, South Korea, Japan trilateral relationships uh, to meet the challenges economic and, and security challenges. So, um, and, and that trilateral relationship uh, cooperation has been mentioned in, in two joint statements uh, in, in Tokyo and in Seoul. So uh, it seems that United States in that sense uh, played the role, uh, and particularly uh, President Biden. You remember that, uh, you know, Vice President Biden uh, came to you know, Tokyo and Japan back in uh, 2013, and he uh, tried to, you know, play sort of, you know, mediating role that eventually led to a trilateral summit meeting in Hague uh, next year, uh, 2014. And I think that's, uh, you know, grounded uh, the foundation for the ultimate, you know, comfort woman uh, agreement uh, concluded in December 2015. So uh, this time, uh, I sense that the uh, United States is playing a similar role, not directly uh, involved in history issues, but in a more 
uh, strategic ways in which uh, you have this pressing uh, economic and, and, and security issues, and uh, there's no way that two countries continue to struggle. So uh, that's a very important message, and I sense that President Yoon is, is very much proactive. And also what's interesting to the Japanese side is that the Japanese government position so far has been, here's an issue of you know, forced labor and uh, Supreme Court ruling. And now, uh, you know, ball is on the Korean court. You study, homework, come up with a solution, and then we discuss and also discuss on other uh, issues, uh, security, economics, and others. And now, uh, Prime Minister Kishida says that this bilateral relationship is too important to be left out. So we got to work now. So I think that's a big change. And that change comes out of, you know, uh, United States role, I think, and particularly the recent visit. So uh, we are um, now on the right track, I think. But uh, the issue is that it's a, you know, perennial issue. Uh, okay, here is uh, the security issues, economic issues. We get together, uh, so we get to improve uh, the relationship on, on those fronts. But at the same time, there's a history issue. And you have to make a parallel progress on the history issues. Otherwise, ultimately, it will be slowed down and interrupted. So uh, particularly uh, the history issue, I mean, uh, here the problem uh, lying between the two countries is that, okay, why don't we just, you know, set aside the history issues and, you know, work hard on security, economics, climate change, and all others. Uh, that's theoretically possible, but we have a time bomb ticking issues, uh, you know, that uh, there's a... You know, Supreme Court ruling and also the court ruling over sort of you know, implementing a sale of the assets of the Japanese companies you know, to compensate the plaintiff, the victims. And you don't really have much time. Uh, so far, uh, you know, both governments are buying time to postpone the decision, but uh, you know, that has a limit. So uh, within a year, uh, two parties, uh, two governments need to find solutions to stop this, you know, time bomb ticking. So uh, you, you got to handle these issues uh, while at the same time promoting uh, security and, you know, economic cooperation. So how do, you know, resolve this uh, forced labor, you know, selling, uh, I mean, stop selling the assets of, of the former uh, Japanese company, I mean, here, the Mitsubishi. So that's one uh, really big task for the Yun government and also the Kishida government. And um, there are already uh, the choices made, prepared, I think. And in Korea and also in Japan, it's kind of been a consensus that uh, you only have three choices. One is to, you know, establish a, a foundation uh, donated uh, by the Japanese companies and also Korean companies, particularly Korean companies who, like POSCO, uh, who received uh, uh, economic cooperation money back in uh, 1965. So they established a foundation and then they uh, provided uh, money uh, to the plaintiff. Uh, that's one choice. 
And second choice is so-called uh, Kim Young-sam choice that, uh, okay, uh, the money issues, uh, we don't want Japanese to be paid. You know, it is South Korean governments that deals with all this compensation. In return, Japanese make sincere apologies. So that's the second choice. And the third choice is, is go to the third party legal uh, arbitration, including ICJ ruling. So uh, I think uh, the choices are already there. And it is the decision by uh, President Yoon and also with help of you know, Prime Minister Kishida, uh, the, which one you, you choose. We know that um, it involves huge political decision uh, because uh, one, at the moment, I, I wrote it in this paper, uh, Talking Points, that uh, we see um, sort of you know, identity clashes between the two countries, that the Koreans view the identity of Japan as still former colonial aggressor unrepentant aggressor, no apology. And the Japanese uh, depict the Korean sort of, you know, national character was very interesting. Uh, it has been shaped uh, during the past uh, several years that Korea is emotional, irrational, and unreliable partner. So uh, get to take, you know, distancing uh, unless they come up uh, with a new proposal and then change its attitude. So uh, these... Uh, you know, public um, attitudes and also uh, top leaders' attitude toward each other has been an obstacle. So somehow you get to move away from that. That's one obstacle. And two obstacle is to Korea. I gave you uh, the data of the public opinion survey that, that there's a sharp uh, divide within Korea that here, the older Korean people, I mean, according to uh, the public opinion survey, uh, you know, conducted by uh, East Asia Institute, overwhelming numbers supports improvement of the bilateral relationship. But the next thing is, what is priority? And the progressive say that you get to resolve history issues first. Conservatives say you get to do future-oriented cooperation in security and economics. And two are sharply divided. And um, now uh, it is... Uh, President Yoon, who has conservative base, but when you, uh, you know, come up to this, you know, liquidation issue, you get to deal with, you know, this history issues, and there is a sharp divide between uh, the, uh, the Korean public. So uh, there are two obstacles, and we'll see how President Yoon uh, will deal with uh, this uh, particular history issues in the context of bilateral uh, security and economic cooperation. And I think Victor just mentioned before that uh, whether we'll see, you know, uh, the NATO summit and what uh, President Yoon said, uh, we'll see, uh, you know, uh, whether summit meeting, bilateral summit meeting uh, will be held after the Japanese election and what all the messages they are uh, saying, particularly uh, with regard to these history issues. With that, let me stop. Thank you. I think uh, you succinctly uh, pointed out uh, important issues there. If a bilateral issue between South Korea and Japan becomes the issue of identity, it becomes much more complicated and difficult to resolve. And do you think uh, both, both political leaders in South Korea and Japan 
will be able to mobilize uh, enough uh, political support. I mean, to overcome the kind of difficulties coming from identity. I mean, confrontation between two countries. It's, it should be a very difficult task. You know, I think that uh, the identity clash came out of the leaders' clash between Park and Abe, between Moon and Mr. Abe, and that is spread into the public whole public. So uh, that is uh, vividly uh, demonstrated in the public opinion survey that you know Japanese perception of uh, Korean leader President Moon is. Uh, their favorability is uh, is less than three percent. It's almost statistical error, and vice versa. So, uh, very low level of uh, positive image uh, because I mean, uh, each country, the public views the other country as what the other country's leaders said and done. I think that's very important. So, in that sense, uh, the leader is the key agent of public diplomacy. So I think um, we might hope that uh, President Yoon uh, should play a, a very important and effective public diplomacy to the Japanese public. That this is a leader uh, who views Japan or the Japanese identity not strictly Japan as a former colonial aggressor. But it's kind of new Japan that uh, South Korea really needs to cooperate in order to deal with uh, the global challenges and all, also regional challenges, uh, including the China challenge. And also the Kishida, Mr. Kishida should play a very important role that, you know, this is the country, Korea. A uh, previous session we talked about, and also uh, President Lee, you know, his uh, the opening remarks saying that it's the 10th largest economy in the world with most sophisticated technologies and culture. And the Korean you know, defense budget will almost equal in two years with, uh, with that of Japan. So this is a new Korea, not, you know, you can't say irrational, emotional. You're not really, you know, abiding by the rule of law kind of thing. So there should be the gap between the real Korea and the Japanese image of Korea. So. Uh, I think uh, Mr. Kishida, I think, really believe that I think that uh, Mr. Kishida should address uh, the real uh, Korea, the real face of Korea that uh, you should uh, deal with. So uh, I think that's the starting point. And then uh, obviously uh, it will take time to address sort of, you know, distorted the identity, I mean, image of uh, the other country's identity. So uh, it will take time, but I, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we can, you know, improve uh, in that way. In that regard, I think uh, Dr. Smith's advice to Korean political leader, I mean, the President Yoon Sung-yeol, to try to speak directly to the Japanese people, I think that, that's an important issue mm -hmm. here. Uh, please, uh, Professor Che Eun-bong. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for your warm introduction. And it is a great honor and privilege for me to participate uh, in this exciting and timely conference uh, with uh, distinguished scholars, experts, intellectuals, and the policymakers and informed journalists. Uh, I have learned a lot uh, from 
the keynote speech and uh, presentations in the first session. For initial brief remark, I broadly focused on the current situations of the relationship between Korea and Japan for a contextual understanding. If we look at the uh, broadcasts and newspaper for a couple of uh, recent years, uh, we frequently find the words uh, catastrophe, total difficulty, credibility gap, disfavor, widespread frictions, even a failure of communication. But recently, uh, um, it is good news, uh, here, partnership and friendship about Korea and Japan. But this observation leads me to summarize the current situation uh, as abnormality. So then a question comes up, is it possible to improve conflicting uh, Korea-Japan relations to be sustainable and sincere and new normal? Uh, how to get back normalization and reconciliation and confidence rebuilding, uh, as mentioned the previous speakers? Uh, I'm not a naive optimist, but I'm uh, cautiously positive for the future of Korean relations, as uh, I think now is the fresh moment. So in order to prepare uh, for the task, I think four pillars need to be highlighted. Four pillars include the balanced understanding, the circumstance of struggling Korea-Japan relations, the second, the figuring out characteristic of new government, Korean government's uh, policies to the Japan. The third, pinpointing hurdles surrounding the new government. First, mapping out the policy suggestions and alternatives for the forward-looking relations. Let me move to the first pillar in detail uh, now. Korea-Japan relations have been neglected for quite a long time. Cycles of action and reaction and tit-for-tat by both countries were repeated in a negative way. Even the fourth labor issue, which was called as a time bomb, as mentioned Professor Son, was not controlled effectively. In the case of Japanese military sexual labor issue, the Korean government deserved in 2018 the Reconciliation Healing Foundation, which was established in 2016 based on the 2015 agreement. The momentum in implementing the 2015 agreement was lost. Some victims even claimed to refer the case to the UN Anti-Torture Commission Committee. Uh, let's look at Japan. Japan implemented export regulations and deleted Korea from this white country list. Korea declared the termination of GSOMIA, as you know, Japan filed a complaint with the WTO. In addition, other conflictual issues were ruptured. Fukushima nuclear power plant water discharge, territorial disputes, taxable controversies, application for UNESCO registration of Sado Mine, which is located in Niigata Prefecture by the Japanese government, etc. Historical disagreements then were deteriorated and spread to complex conflicts. Two countries were bashing and passing 
each other and fell in a losing game against both. In the latter half of the reign, previous Korean government actually insisted on dialogue with Japan, but Japanese counterparts did not respond it, let alone the actual conversation. Japan considered that Korea prioritized the North Korean agenda while recognizing of Japan not as a partner but as a spoiler, which is not true. <laughs> the moreover, a phenomenon appears in which victims and perpetrators are re reversed in Korea-Japan relations. Growing Japan is compared in juxtaposition with decreasing Japan. The scholar argues that the Korea-Japan relations have been transform, transformed for last six decades from asymmetrical and complementary status to symmetrical and competitive ones. According to GAP, G GDP, uh, the Professor Sun mentioned, the Korea in Japan was uh, 1 to 30 in 1965, the year of normalization, and uh, 1 to 10 in 1990s, and the 1 to 5 in 2010, and the 1 to 3 in 2020, almost. In terms of GDP per capita, 1 to 8 in 1965, and the recently almost uh, close each other, and the R&D budget and the even defense spending, the gap between Korea and Japan has become narrowed. As a result of a shift of power and stature, kind of cognitive dissonance occurred and influenced paradoxically on the relations to be shattered. Based on all uh, these outcomes, it is arguably estimated that the previous administration, Korean previous administrative policy toward Japan, not successful, even failed, for the lack of accountability and adaptability. It left a negative legacy. However, the previous government is not the only one that was wrong. Cause is indeed historical structural and reciprocal. With regard to the Japan's attitude, Japanese government gave Korea cold shoulder with disfavor and without any efforts to have a dialogue with Korea. Eventually, without the summit meeting, antagonistic race was pervasive in both societies. Some scholars in international politics and foreign Policy say three things as essential. One, national interest. Two, value, including democracy, rule of law, market economy, human rights, etc. And third, perception, psychology, and identity. So, however, national interests were sacrificed, common values unshared. Only emotional showdown was severed with the fever of patriotic nationalism and the populistic propaganda by both governments. So wars were built up to keep two countries apart 
Then COVID-19 certainly attacked all of the world. Moreover, the rivalry between US-China has grown more intense over global supply chain and economic security. Furthermore, Russian invasion of Ukraine brought unprecedentedly a shock as a return of geo geopolitics, the Korea-United States alliance, and the trilateralism, Korea-United States and Japan uh, under Biden administration become serious matters as a political capital. Yeah, this is reality. Yeah. What is more important is that Kishida became a prime minister in last year and Yoon became a president in Korea recently. In this context, the theater has been changed and top leaders as leading actors of both countries could be game changers and icebreakers in spite of many obstacles. Uh, first session, the panelist and the moderator mentioned leaders matter. So let me stop here. Okay, thank you very much for your uh, excellent presentation. Let me ask just one question. That is, uh, President Yoon suk yeol said he would improve South Korea's relationship with Japan. And uh, to succeed, I mean, to make his policy of uh, improving relationship with Japan successful, he needs to uh, mobilize uh, full support of opposition party members, for example, in the National Assembly. But uh, he won the presidential election with very slim margin of 0.73%, and as you know, the majority seats uh, are occupied by the opposition party. Uh, I think uh, they are occupying 169 seats, while the ruling party occupies 114. Uh, do you think uh, President Yoon will be able to mobilize support of the opposition party in pursuing this quite difficult policy of improving bilateral relations? Thank you for the question. Uh, the answer is very difficult. But uh, logically, uh, without uh, uh, I mean, uh, co-governance in National Assembly, uh, many things will be impossible. That's the obstacles the UN government has yeah. to meet with. For instance, uh, uh, Sonia mentioned um, subrogation, the liquidation issue. Uh, even that, uh, you mentioned the three uh, uh, ideas. Number one is uh, uh, just uh, the three options. Then, yeah. then uh, uh, subrogation, then the, uh, the kind of cleanup or the, the moral legitimacy. The third one is uh, uh, the international domain, of uh, course. But I think the first subrogation uh, idea, we can uh, divide three scenarios. The first is broad subrogation. Second is a little bit separate subrogation. The third, uh, which is uh, uh, introduced in Korea, the former speaker of uh, National Assembly idea, uh, that is two plus two, Moon Hee Sang proposal. 
is a two plus two alpha idea. I think this is, uh, it is uh, uh, quite reasonable, but uh, by that time, uh, for the uh, schedule of time, it is not accepted. It is not proposed in National Assembly. So even though that kind of idea re-highlighted, re-addressed, that is uh, National Assembly process must be uh, required for that process. So in that sense, political struggle is very uh, high mm -hmm. for the Okay. The Thank you very much. Yeah. Dr. Ellen Kim, please. Thank you. Um, Korea Foundation and CSIS for giving me this opportunity uh, to talk about this very important topic. So, um, and also, um, it's my great pleasure to be on this panel with the uh, very distinguished um, scholars on Japan and Korea-Japan relations. So, thank you for having me. Um, so, I have three points to make. First, um, the RK-Japan relationship uh, in the past several years uh, really deteriorated in unprecedented ways that uh, served neither country's interest. Trust was depleted um, not, not only because, between the two governments, but also between the people of two countries. And when the existing and uh, new uh, historical disputes um, sort of got politicized and spill over to economic and secure realms, I think that really hurt the very important foundation of the ROK-Japan relationship and also undermined the regional corporations, including US-ROK-Japan trilateralism. And a lack of trust, lack of dialogue, certainly uh, made it difficult for both countries to uh, manage uh, some of the uh, military skirmishes and other un uh, adverse developments, which could have been handled better under normal circumstances. So overall, um, although many of the each uh, each one of these um, disputes are um, are really uh, matters a lot in both countries and uh, carries enormous weight in both countries, um, the overall outcome of these um, tensions and confrontations over these disputes at the front and center of the bilateral relationship, I think really hurt, did, did no goods to both countries, but only inflicted more pains to the victims of the, some of the disputes and hurt the uh, businesses and people in both countries. Second, uh, with the change in government of both countries, I think that um, South Korea and Japan have a now new opportunity to reset their bilateral relationship. And I think the bilateral relationship got off to a good start already. Um, and I think President uh, Yoon and Prime Minister Kishida now um, need to uh, build on this positive momentum uh, to um, normalize their ties. And I think they are in a very good position to do that. Both countries have a, um, aligned, uh, they are aligned in North Korea policy. They have a very strong commitment to democracy, freedom, rules-based international order. Both countries also wanted to establish a stable supply network in both uh, in the regions. And finally, um, President Yoon's uh, recent decision to join the U.S. Indo-Pacific economic framework and interest in Quad and maybe uh, CPTPP may also bring both countries come together and move the dialogue forward. So where do these countries uh, go from there? Um, I think uh, my final point is that there are both short-term and long-term um, tasks facing both countries. On the short-term side, I think that both countries need to focus on trust-building by working on the issues of their shared interests and use that progress to uh, restore the trust and expand and uh, enhance their bilateral corporations. 
And at the NATO summit at the end of this month, I think could be a very good opportunity uh, for the in-person summit between President Yoon and Prime Minister uh, Kishida, uh, which can be followed by their bilateral summit uh, sometime after the Japan's um, upper election in June 10th, I think. And both leaders can uh, recognize the importance of each other, strategic importance of uh, both countries for their countries, and agree on the uh, future-oriented cooperations. And as a sign of goods, uh, will, goodwill gesture, both countries may consider putting both countries back on their um, white list of the um, favorable, tra um, preferable tra uh, trading partners. And at the same time, both countries should um, agree on the two-track approach, um, separating their dispute, ongoing dispute from the uh, issues of their bilateral corporations. And also, as uh, Professor Tsong mentioned, sort of proactively uh, manage some of the time-sensitive issues like wartime labor issues uh, in ways that um, uh, prevent the um, rup uh, rupture from um, and rupture in the bilateral relationship and uh, uh, spoiling the future-oriented cooperation between the two countries. Finally, on the longer-term issues, I think that both countries should uh, approach the historic dispute uh, with a, uh, more restraint and patience and through continuous dialogue. These, as history shows, uh, many of these historical issues are really hard to resolve, and unfortunately, many of these issues got much more complex and much more difficult now uh, as they involve uh, legal cases that requires a lot of um, delicate handling. And leadership in both countries also faces enormous uh, domestic barriers that they have to overcome. So um, I think that uh, years of reciprocal uh, efforts uh, with a sincere commitment in both countries should be uh, required to make a meaningful progress in these issues. Thank you very much for your uh, excellent uh, presentation. And let me ask this question. You are staying here in, in, in this country, in the United States. And let me ask uh, uh, a question about the role of the United States. Already that issue has been discussed a little bit, but the nature of the difficulties we are facing in trying to improve bilateral relationship between Japan and uh, South Korea is very kind of uh, complex and complicated in the sense that in Korea, uh, as I already mentioned in my question to Dr. Che, President Yoon should be able to, uh, I mean, mobilize those majority seats of opposition party from the National Assembly. And in Japan, uh, Prime Minister Kishida should be able to mobilize a strong support uh, from even ultra-conservative and very hardliners. And uh, I think both countries, uh, countries' leaders uh, should be able to, to, to do that at the same time. But that is very difficult. And without solving that kind of dilemma, there is no hope, I think, to solve this uh, problem, difficulties facing, I mean, uh, those two countries. And uh, do you think, I mean, American, I mean, U.S. Uh, way of uh, intervening in this uh, issue that is kind of behind the scene, quiet diplomacy, do you think that will be enough to resolve this kind of difficult, complicated uh, uh, problem? Maybe yes, and maybe no. <laughs> Back in, I think, 2014 or 14, uh, 13, uh, when South Korea um, and Japan already have a difficult relationship over these history disputes, 
President Biden actually um, sort of played a media role to bring up President Park and Prime Minister Abe to have a summit together. So at that time, uh, sort of this uh, sort of put a stop in the ongoing tensions in the Western uh, countries. So in that sense, uh, maybe it worked that way, but eventually that actually saw bad results after the collapse of the uh, Comfort Women Agreement fell apart. But right now, I think that there are certain roles that America can play, certainly, but not in an open way, but in a back channel. I think encouraging both sides to think about the, their uh, broader um, national interests. Ultimately, I think that ROK-Japan cooperation is very vital for their national interests in addressing not, uh, the regional and global challenges. Both countries should not overlook their uh, strategic importance of each other. South Korea's national security in part relies and tied to the U.S. forces stationed in, Korea, uh, in Japan and also military assets there. And Japan also needs South Korea to deal with North Korea as well as China and other regional issues. So I think that both South Korea and Japan need to really step out from their um, ongoing disputes and then really see their, reassess their national interests in bilateral regime in a holistic way. And most importantly, I think that uh, both countries should not let this discordant historical issues driving a wedge in their, um, between them and when they're facing these greater challenges from North Korea and China. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Smith, uh, may I invite your view on the same question that I raised, please? So I, you know, I, it's not to say that I think during the Obama years, there was a very concerted effort to facilitate, and that's the word I like to use as opposed to mediate on some of these issues. And I, I think um, Dr. Kim is quite right to reference that period as being a very difficult period in the bilateral and where the United States could play a quiet, supportive role that actually ended up being productive in terms of the Comfort Woman Agreement. But again, at the end of the day, I feel that we should recognize that the United States cannot uh, push the people of South Korea or the people of Japan to a position that is not inherently welcome. And I think we, we, we need to recognize our limits here. But there is a quiet, supportive role. There is a referential role, perhaps, the United States could play. I was intrigued by um, Dr. Sill's three possibilities. Well, maybe there's a different possibility. There is reconciliation efforts that were made in the United States in our domestic political world where we had to deal, of course, with behavior by the U.S. government towards its citizens that was not you know, conducive to our constitutional rights. And so there's other ways, perhaps other cases, other instances of reconciliation that could be reference points for Japan and South Korea. I honestly have gone back to look at the 1965 agreement and the accompanying agreement on the compensation issues. And I am sort of struck by how wise negotiators were back then about creating this third party mediation framework. Because I think they understood that this may not be the end of the conversation between the citizens of both countries. And I, I think it's really going to be incumbent on the, both governments to be flexible in thinking about ways in which they can approach this. But the United States actually is in a referential role rather than a direct media, mediation role, if that makes sense. That would be my, my approach to that. Okay, thank you very much. Dr. Son, you, you talked about three options and I mean, three choices that both uh, uh, South Korea and Japan can choose, but you didn't, I mean, uh, evaluate, them. I mean, uh, which is the most, I mean, reasonable option for both countries? What is your 
uh, personal view or personal evaluation among those three options you mentioned, and why? I mean, my preference is second. You know, this is an issue uh, that uh, the Japanese government and Japanese companies do not want to pay. If that's the case, then my government will will take care of it, and we take the position of moral superiority on the issue. Then uh, president really need a courage, you know, to to uh, persuade uh, the people. That uh, was made uh, in 1993 uh, when the comfort woman issue erupted, and that was during the time when Japanese government prepared so-called Kono Statement. So uh, I think uh, timing was right at that time, before Japanese government uh, made their uh, statement. So the Kim Young-sam's decision and his uh, decision kind of uh, supported you know, Kono Statement in that way. I mean, uh, having a Kono Statement as progressive as possible. But this time is, is, is difficult, is different. And then uh, the Korean president is, is uh, much more uh, difficult position than uh, President Kim was. Uh, but I think uh, still uh, that's the possibility. Uh, I mean, that's the, the thing that you uh, resolve it. Uh, because uh, the first choice Professor Che mentioned uh, Munisangan or the revised Munisangan. I think that's uh, that's reasonable and and I think that's desirable. But it I'm not sure. It will take time. But uh, during that time, I mean, we saw uh, the history problems like you know comfort woman and forced labor when this you know issue came out in the government. If you don't handle it quickly, then it lasts for the whole five years, shackled the relationship. That was Park's case and Moon's case. So if you do not really uh, you know, address this issue progressively in your first year of presidency, I think it will go on and on uh, until the end of this, I mean, the current UN government. So you need um, a decisiveness uh, and courage to uh, you know, get it done uh, within one year uh, when you have a high time and also honeymoon, not with the opposition party, but with the public. Um, so I prefer the second choice. Okay, uh, then I think uh, it's time for, for us to wrap up our discussion. I think it was very uh, I mean, productive uh, discussion. We touched it almost impo- every important subject related to our topic of improving relationship between South Korea and Japan. And I think uh, probably one conclusion, I mean, which comes from all of your presentation is that we need to, I mean, kind of delink uh, uh, history issue from the economic and security issues. And we don't have to hurry about the deal with the history issue, which is very difficult, complicated issues. And I think uh, uh, with that in our mind, I think uh, we had better expect, I mean, both governments uh, in South Korea and Japan 
be able to succeed in their commitment to improve bilateral relationship in coming years. Uh, thank you very much for your uh, excellent presentations. And Dr. Smith, thank you. And thank you very much for listening audience. Thank you. If you have a question for one of our experts about the impossible state, email us at impossiblestate at csis.org. If you want to dive deeper into the issues surrounding North Korea, check out Beyond Parallel. That's our micro website that's dedicated to bringing a better understanding of the Korean peninsula. You can find it at beyondparallel.csis.org. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's so more listeners can find us. It's very helpful. We're now also streaming on Spotify, so you can find us there too, where you find all your music. How cool is that? And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Impossible State.